Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says this, Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Man, it was, uh, it was a joy to watch um, this morning as uh, people went out and started cars and batteries died and, and uh, people staying home and watching online, just our church kind of jumping in. And we have a bit of a skeleton crew uh, this morning, but it was, it was also a blessing just to kind of watch people like jump in. And thanks for the team for getting up and being here so early and fighting through uh, your hoarse voices and like just blessing us like you did this morning. That was amazing. Um, to worship with you and really to just sort of rehearse today's word um, in Romans together um, as we sang really the message this morning. And so that was beautiful. Last week, we opened up the book of Romans, chapter one, verse one. We jumped in right into the deep end of the pool because there are no other ends in the book of Romans. There's only deep ends. It's an Olympic type pool, right? Like it's just, there's no shallow end. You don't get to wade in. You're just like straight in the depth of the gospel. And we looked at the, the man, Paul, who has written this letter to the church in Rome. We looked at him and he's the author and he penned the letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, meaning that God worked through his gifts and capacities and his humanity and his apostleship. And, and he penned this letter by God's will. And these are God's words. And so um, he, he was transformed from the zealot religious Jew to this humble Christian servant. Like that's, that's what we saw and, and, and God transformed him um, through the gospel and he became an apostle to the church, which means like he sort of like um, was, was one of the, the earliest leaders of the church. He uh, wrote most of the New Testament. And so that's the man, Paul. We looked at the message of the gospel, which um, is about the life and it's about the death and it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we can't forget how important the resurrection is to the gospel. And that was in focus in our first few verses last week. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you serve a dead martyr. That's, that's the reality. And we don't serve a dead martyr. We serve a risen savior and he defeated and crushed death. And, and, and that's who we, we serve this morning and we worship. We can't lose track of that. And, and also in the gospel message, we saw that it's just as important not, not to just get the rules and the doctrines of the gospel right. It's important that we see that the gospel is about a person. It's as much a who as it is a what. And knowing and loving and believing in that person and what that person has done, that is how we are saved, through faith. 
By grace, we're saved. And that's the Christian ideal of the gospel. And then finally, we were awakened to the mission, just the mission, the purpose of this letter and the mission that Paul was so often on and laying his life down for. He was shipwrecked and he was stoned and he was nearly put to death and he was put in jail and all this stuff throughout his whole life. His ministry was to deliver Christian churches like this one obedient to the faith. Like that's what he was trying to do, establish more churches throughout the world and bring them into the obedience of God's word and the gospel, our very faith. That's the mission that he was on. And today we just want to take a moment to, to sort of slow down and, and kind of back the car up a little bit and notice a few things that I pointed out last week but are, but are super important to us this morning instead of just sort of rushing through. And, and, and so we're back into three and four and we're going to see a little bit more about who Jesus is. And, and, and someone um, once said that like, uh, what you think about Jesus is the most important thing you could think. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing you could believe. And I think that's true. And so we're going to slow down this morning a little bit. And Paul gives us a bite here in this text um, where we can see Jesus. We can see who is this Jesus, not just the person in one moment, not just uh, at the cross or in, in, in appearances in the New Testament as the churches, but we can see Jesus in a much broader view. And Paul gives us that. So, so as I do that this morning... Like, I just want to challenge you, if we're going to talk about who Jesus is, that you, you sort of turn that around to yourself as a bit of a mirror and you ask who Jesus is to you. Like, I think that's an important thing to do anytime we're, we're like exploring some idea like this is that you're, you're constantly trying to let God's word and text read you and ask yourself, who is this Jesus to you? And I think it's a comprehensive question. There might be um, some of you like who know the Jesus of the Bible. Like you, you've read the gospels, you sort of like know his life and you understand what he did and you believe in Christ, but, but maybe you don't know him personally. And when people start to talk like this, you about a personal relationship with the Lord, like you just kind of wonder like, did they, are they experiencing something I'm not? Like, I think that's a, that's a legitimate question this morning. And, and maybe you like, maybe you have that sort of personal relationship. You feel like you walk with the Lord. Like you, you, you experience the presence of Christ. Um, you're, you're, you're praying and you like, but maybe there's like a lot more for you to know about Christ in the word. Like there, there's more for you to dive into. There's depths of the living word in the written word that you, that you could dive into and know him in the way that he has revealed himself even more. So, so wherever you're at today, I want you to just sort of um, ask that question. Who is Jesus to me? And, um, and this doctrine that we're going to talk about this morning is that Jesus had a divine nature and Jesus had a human nature. It's the duality of, of Christ's nature, that he's fully God and that he is fully human. And so, um, like a lot of energy has went in historically to this fight. 
Like throughout time, um, it, the, the church and theologians and pastors and believers throughout time have fought over this issue and great battles have, have, have been fought in past generations. And I'd, I'd love to say this isn't an issue today, but I think it still is uh, to some degree. But, but I do think that enough battles have been thought that like, fought that like inside of orthodox, like biblical historic Christianity, the doctrine that, that Jesus was fully human and fully God is established. If you don't believe that, you're outside of those bounds of orthodoxy and historic Christianity. And so, um, but I think that, that, that it's important for us to look at and focus on because we would say that the deity and the humanity of Jesus is unequivocally, fundamentally a core doctrine of the Christian faith. And to remove it harms our faith. It harms it. And, and so the, we would say that. And, and, and so this morning, that's what we get to focus on, this doctrine, right? And we're going to do it through titles that we see here, the titles given to Jesus. That's how we're going to do it. Titles are interesting, though. Because they have like, titles most often have some kind of purpose behind them. Sometimes they may not. They're self-serving. I guess that's a purpose too. But, but titles generally tell us stuff about people. For instance, I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. So those are familial titles, right? Like they're not, those are, those are about my family. They tell, they tell a small story that I, that I have a family. When I was a kid, uh, I was known as Rai Rai. But to kids today, I'm known as Roro. I don't know how that happened. When I'm at City Hall, I'm a commissioner, which is kind of weird to step into that title. Like I'm a commissioner. Um, when I'm here, I'm a pastor. Friends have sometimes called me nicknames, which are kind of like titles, maybe with less significance. Big O, O, OB. One of our church planner missionaries in Africa calls me God's general, which is my, probably my favorite one. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to that. He's, he's probably watching today. Uh, some other church planners in, in and around that we've helped in the country and stuff will sometimes call me Bishop. Uh, Pastor Key calls me Bishop, and, and that's always sort of like, they're titles of significant things that do tell stories about what we do and who we are, right? Like they, some of them mean a lot, some of them don't mean as much. Some of them are like, what? Like, I don't even, I, 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 I hear the title and I almost have to try that identity on. But, but Jesus here this morning is called the son of God. He's called the son of God and man in the flesh. And so those, those two things in the Davidic line, as they, as they sort of come together to, to create two titles, two sort of uh, comparative titles, and, and we'll see that over and over again in the scriptures. And so that's what we're going to look at today as we look at these few verses. Let me pray and we'll jump into the text. Lord, we, we thank you. Um, we thank you um, for this day. We thank you for just the ability to be gathered and scattered um, through technology and have brothers and sisters um, just just 
worshiping with us, even though they're not in the room. That's just an amazing thing. I can't even imagine um, that, 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 that Christians of old would have even conceived that, that sort of idea. And yet it's possible through common grace. So thank you for that. And thank you, Lord, um, just for your presence this morning and the power of your word. And Lord, I, 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 like, I bet that like, even as we talk about these titles of yours that were sort of raised in this country without a great affection for formal titles, like I think in the, in the professional world, maybe we, we are, but like we might call our physician doctor, but we wouldn't call our father doctor. I bet, I bet that we are not um, tuned in to the significance of these things. And so Lord Almighty, today we, we want to see more than these titles and, and instead would you give us a clear view of who you are, a clear view of who Jesus is. And because of this word this morning, like I'm hoping we'll know more about you and that we'd be more in love with you as Paul was. So would you give us your wisdom and would you, would you give us insight and discernment to, 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 to just have spiritual sight right now, Lord? And would you fill your people and would you refresh them by your spirit and would you correct us and would you redirect us and would you deliver your people this day from the lies of an enemy that is real, and would you protect your people even during the ministry of this word? And Lord, help me to share what only pleases you. And may we all receive your word with delight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Verse two, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. So we're gonna, we'll, we'll come back to that in just a minute. Let's, let's, let's move on to verse four. And was declared to be the son of God. There's your title. It's your first title today. Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says Jesus was declared to be the son of God. And, and to declare a title over somebody is, is either to say that somebody, that something is absolutely true about that person. It's, it's to say like, this is true about this person. I'm a dad, it's true. That's, un, that's an undeniable truth. It's just, it's what I am. Right, like it's, it's what I am. I, I'm a man, like I was, I was born a male person. Like I'm a man, like that, that's, that's the true thing about me. And it's a title that's, that's been given because of a truth, right? And Paul's saying, Jesus is the son of God. Or it's, it's something that's been earned, right? So you, many of you guys have titles that you've earned. You have a diploma that says you've done the work to be, call, to be called something, right? And then sometimes it comes with like letters. Like some of you guys have a lot of letters, you know, nurses and doctors and lawyers and counselors. It's like just 
Like those are titles that you've earned. And, and what Paul's saying here is like, he's the son of God in power, according to the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And by his resurrection, it's like he's bringing both of those ideas together. Now, the son of, sons of God in biblical terms can, can mean anyone who manifests obedience to God. Like that's sort of the broadest idea. Is that like if, if, if people who manifest obedience to God are sons of God, they're derivative of him, right? Like that's sort of the widest idea. Consider 1 John 5, it says, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. Like this is the work of God to bring us to be his son, to be obedient. And so that's the broadest view of it. But it can, it can mean that someone's basically just obedient to God. It could mean that. But... And what we know about Jesus is in Luke chapter one, that the Holy Spirit um, said that the power of the most high will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Like, so Jesus is declared at his birth to be son of God. And then throughout the New Testament, that's the name that is given to him. He's the son of God meaning that he, he's derivative, his nature, he comes from God. He's God's son, he came, he is God in the flesh. And Paul's saying like, and he was declared in his work to be the son. He brings both of the ideas of title together in the person of Jesus. He's being declared through his resurrection, through what he's done, that he came and he lived a perfect life and he died his death as a martyr for you and me. And he rose again, destroying Satan, sin and death. And so he's the son of God. He's the son of God. What's beautiful about that to me as a Christian, as I was just sort of like worshiping this morning and it just, it overcame me that Jesus was the son of God and he was declared to be because of his works. And I was not a son of God and I did not earn my sonship through my works. I earned my sonship through his works. Like I, I'm a son of God, you're a son of God because what Jesus did and because of who he is. None of those things were true about us, but they are now in the gospel. Like that's beautiful. And Paul's declaring this over the church that, that you should know Jesus, the son of God. You should know him that way. It's not just a fancy title in scripture that sort of tips the hat. It means something beautiful to us this morning. I want to know Jesus more as the son of God. And then back in verse two, we'll back up and he says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. And we dealt a little bit with this last week and we talked about how, how to be the son of David as he's also declared to be, um, means that, that throughout the Hebrews experience, throughout the Hebrews experience that the lineage of God through David finds itself expressed in, in Christ. And that we literally even have the genealogy in, in the gospels that show us 
that Jesus came from David, but, but more importantly is, is that there was this promise that there would be this king that reigned eternally, that would be in David's line. But, but I, what I want to focus here this morning is something we could really miss, as he says, according to the flesh. So he, he tacks on the promises of God being fulfilled to the idea of the humanity of Jesus, which in itself is beautiful and worth our attention this morning that his humanity matters to us. Jesus's humanity is an amazing reality for us because what's so amazing is that as I struggle as a Christian, like as I struggle, I have a priest, I have a shepherd, I have a savior who knows what it's like to be cold. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be tired from a long day. He knows what it's like to feel temptations that are so, um, so just like desirous to want to have. Like he knows all of that things, all of those things. And, and just that reality that Jesus was human closes the gap between a sovereign and powerful savior and my lived experience. It closes the gap that, that I have a sympathetic and faithful high priest who I have direct access to. Like his humanity is day by day, hour by hour, important for us as Christians. That he was fully human. It's hard to say he was fully human. He still is fully human, but he's a glorified human as one day you will be. Like a body that's already ready for eternity. That, that doesn't feel the cold and that doesn't feel the hunger and doesn't feel itself tired at the end of the day. It's glorified. There's no corruption. There's nothing in it that's breaking down. It's built for eternity. He's still fully human and he's the kind of human that you're gonna be. Your body will one day be. So it matters. It matters a lot that Jesus was fully human, that he was a man like you and me, but different. I think it's important for us too this morning to think about how Jesus thought of himself. And, and though it's not explicit in today's passage as a title, when, when Paul couples the line of David with Jesus in the flesh and the son of God, he is pointing at the reality that Jesus called himself the son of man. It was Jesus's favorite title for himself. He called himself the son of man more than any other title. I think it's important to think about that in this passage and to, and, and, and to really just um, compare those two ideas that he was the son of God. And, and if, if I could choose, I'd take that title over the son of man. But, but that tells you the ministry of Christ. Is that this, this idea of being human, this, this son of man, even though Paul doesn't explicitly use it, by the way he's constructed the passage, we have to look at it. And that title finds its roots in a passage in Daniel chapter 7. It's actually one of the apocalyptic prophetic texts that many people get wrong. 
And while we won't sort all that out this morning, I think it's important for us to see what that was and what it is is in Daniel, he sees one like a son of man. That's one who's like apparently human, right? Like that's, he sees this individual coming in the clouds of heaven. So Daniel's, he sees the one like a human, but coming from God. He's coming from, and that is just a, a, for, for us created people born on earth. That is a, that's an idea, right? Like that is an out there idea. Daniel sees this reality and it's Jesus's favorite title for himself. It's amazing that we could miss him. Um, this, and so it's surprising too, like how Jesus uses the title. Because like, if you're this, you're this son of man, you're this, 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 this God uh, person coming from heaven, you think of this Isaiah type like visionary person. But Jesus uses, as one commentator writes, the authority of the son of man is predominantly exhibited, however, in humiliation and in suffering and in death. That's how Jesus uses it. He uses this like Mark's more important title of, for Jesus, son of God, son of man includes suffering as its primary context. This is signified by the majority of its uses in the gospel. In five of its nine uses, it relates to Jesus's suffering, Jesus is betrayed into the hands of sinners. The betrayal of the Son of Man is not arbitrary in these passages, but it is the will of God. So, so Jesus uses this idea of the Son of Man as like, I'm going to suffer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay a ransom with my life. I'm going to die. Like, that's how Jesus uses it. Not as like the, 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 the picture of he's coming, he's gonna destroy all of his enemies in an instant and he's gonna reign on this throne forever. And so Jesus, Jesus takes the idea of the suffering servant and the reigning king and he merges them. Just this sort of Paul's putting them together. Jesus does the same. And in Daniel 14, we see he was, um, chapter seven, verse 14, he was given authority. And then this, this, this son of man was giving sovereign power and all the nations and people of every language worshiped him. And his dominion is everlasting, a dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus says, I'm the son of man, he was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna be killed. I mean, all these things are gonna happen to me and I'm still that man. I'm still that one who's coming, whose sovereign power, whose eternal reign, who's been given all the authority from heaven. He's, he's uniting the two ideas of the reign, reigning king and the suffering servant perfectly to reveal to us the work that he was going to do and the time that he was going to do it. And again, it's so important for us to have that today is because God's work is always done in his way and in his timing. 
So all of our struggles, all of your pressures, all of the things that you face in life, good things and bad things are a part of that. This tells me that the events of history aren't just happening. Like God's plan is always unfolding and he's moving in my life in the way that is best for his plan and in his timing. And I know that his redemptiveness, like his redemptive plan is unfolding. It's really beautiful to think about this idea of the son of man. See, all the way to the book of Genesis, we see a story of God's people where, where, where God's plan for humanity was, was to occupy the earth, to take, take upon us um, our God-given authority and commission, like that to, 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 to bring peace and order to the world. Like God, God wanted that. When he created us, he created animals and he created humanity and he gave us humans his image. We bear his image. Like he gave us the great commission in the, in the garden to, 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 to subdue the earth, to bring what is wild under control. Like God's reign was designed in creation through you. And sin infiltrated that, but, but there was also in the garden a serpent. And throughout like biblical history and the narrative, like we see this unfold that there's a serpent and that there's this, there's this beast and that we see even like the idea of wild animals. I know some of you guys love that the idea that there are dragons in scripture, like that's a reality, but, but like, but there's, there's always this, we don't talk about the enemy enough sometimes in churches. Like it's not just about you believing and you like seeing what God's doing. You have a real enemy. You have a real enemy. And that enemy's been throughout scripture and that beast has been after us since the day God created us. And because he hates that you are made in God's image. And he doesn't just hate you because you're a Christian. He hates you because you bear the image of God. And he's been after us since day one. And he's manifested himself in, 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 in countries and in, in places like Egypt and the Canaanites and Babylon. He's been after God's people to destroy God's plan since day one. And Daniel sees the son of man as this person who would come and vanquish the enemy and destroy the beast. And Jesus and Paul are saying like this, this image that we see is not just God coming in power, but it's God coming as a servant and he's laying his life down. And the way that he would destroy Satan is by, by laying his life down so that he could bring us with him. Because without that reality, Jesus still is the line of the tribe of Judah. He still, he still destroys his enemy, but we don't get to go. We're collateral damage. But because Jesus is the son of God and he is the son of man, we get to go. We get to be with him. And the lion of the tribe of Judah destroys his enemy and brings us with him as sons of God that his work on the cross means we get to go because he's earned the title for us. 
So you need to try on some titles, I think is what Paul's saying. That, that we, the good news is precisely this way because God loves you and you're his now if you believe in his work. So you should try on the titles that the Bible gives you. You should see Jesus for who he is, the son of man and the son of God. But you need to realize that he is your brother and he is, um, he's God's royal family and he shares his title with you. He shares his title. I love the, to, to look forward in Romans 8. We're going to get to Romans 8, 19. And there's this beautiful idea of Romans 8, 19, where it says, For the creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Like, I just, I think about that, that picture, that idea that, that the world, the earth, and everything in it, and the planets, the sun that we have, all the stars in the universe, every living person, every living thing, every rock will stand at attention for the sons of God to be revealed. The, 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 the creation that God made will pause to see God's redemptive completion as he's, as he's brought the entire creation fully around to his redemptive purposes for the revealing of the sons of God. That, that, that you would hear over your life that you are his, that you are his son, you are his daughter, you're his royal family, that you're a priesthood, brothers and sisters, that you're a holy nation that's been set apart, that you are the beloved of God, that you are the beloved of God, that you're friends of this Jesus. Everything will stop to see that revealed, to see the complete work of God at its fullest completion. That's the identity that we need to try on, the titles that we need to try on. So I, I want to challenge you this week to see the Son of Man, to see the Son of God, and then its fullest completion that he has called you now, his royal priesthood, that he has called you now, his friends, that you are sons of God, that you are a people of his own choosing. I could go on and on and on about the titles. Romans says you're the beloved of God, that God has cast his love your way. It's hard to believe as unlovely as you are, but he has. And his work has paid the cost to transform you into the obedient sons of God, that the spirit of God, the, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead fills our existence. It fills our life. It keeps us moving. It closes the gap between this, this, this all-powerful Savior and, 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 and we see him as a man like you and I who, who's gone through most of the stuff we've gone through and has, through the power of God's Spirit, been perfectly obedient, done everything we couldn't do, paid the price, removes guilt and shame and has given us his life through his spirit. And we are united to him. That's, that is the reality this morning that we need to live and we need to stand in. So that's my challenge to you.
this week. Literally tried those titles on to believe them about you, journal about them, you have a Bible. Like, what would it, be, what would it look like for you to call one another that, those types of titles, and step into that identity? Because they're not just titles, they mean something about who you are, and they really mean something about who Jesus is. Let me pray. Lord, we, um, we thank you that you've said these things about us, Lord. We, 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 even as, as, as somebody calls me um, holy, I immediately in my own earthly mind take issue with that. Because I like to live in shame and I like to live in, oh, the just averageness of my life. And so, Lord, we need your ability we need grace to come upon us for us to see you at very least and to see ourselves different. And so, Lord, we, we ask for that invitation by you today, that you would bring us in, set us apart, help us feel royal, help us feel regal, help us feel holy. Lord, would you increase the priesthood of believers in this church and wherever somebody might be listening? Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you transform every part of us, that we're not just stuck in our own stuff to figure our, our way through this world. But even like the reality that you're, you're unfolding here means that none of these events that have happened throughout scripture were random acts but you're in charge and you're doing what you always do. Your plan is unfolding through your power and wisdom and we are caught up in that. And I am so thankful for it. In Jesus name, amen. amen.